Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So uh, get us going. We're going to continue in 1 John because uh, it's really good news, and we need to hear it. Uh, so question for you, just kind of as we get going tonight. Has anybody picked up a new hobby or done something you have never done before during the pandemic? Anybody? 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 In the back, Camp Westminster folk, what have you done? Tell me. Yeah, one of you that had your hand up. Typewriters. Okay. Going backwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody else? What else? Yeah, over here. Beth. She planted a garden. Has anything grown in it? Yeah, okay. That's good. Anybody? One more person. What we got right here? Baking cakes. Well, have you been watching that Netflix, uh, what, the great British, what, what, what's it called? Yeah, you're, it's your mask. I can't, sorry, I can't hear. It's good, it's good. Okay, yeah. Well, I got to do uh, something that I've never done before, too. And, it, and you know, it started, um, we had some company in town. We, we always go on a, a trip with some friends from Indiana. And, and, uh, and, and they were in town with us, and they were hanging out in our basement. They have three kids, or five of them total. And my friend Pat comes upstairs and he says, hey, uh, hey Ryan, uh, he tells me something you never want to hear. There's water coming out of the bottom of your toilet. And uh, I'm thinking, okay, you guys have been using the bathroom, you know. So I go down there with the plunger, you know, do the thing, try to get it all cleaned out. We can't figure anything out. And then I say, Pat, <clears throat> can you go check the ejector pit? And uh, the ejector pit is where every – if you." Okay, if you don't know how plumbing works, it has to be on a slope. So in the basement, there is no slope. So, so it goes down to this pit in the basement. And he comes back and he, he tells you something else you never, ever want to hear. There's water everywhere and it smells like a sewer. And, uh, and so uh, I'm like, okay, man, we got a bunch of people in this house and we got to figure this thing out. And, um, and so He's a, he's a really good friend of mine. I said, we're going to do this together, right? And he said, sure, we're going to do this together. And so I get in there and take the top off, and we just go straight into the belly of the beast. And uh, it was, uh, it was uh, a bonding experience, to say the least. I was like, dude, you had corn. I mean, I could see it. It's right here, man. It's just, uh, anyway, so, I, but I was thinking, you know, I was thinking about that ejector pit in my basement, that's what, I mean, this is the level of vulnerability we get to after a pandemic, okay? It's just what happens. But I was thinking about that ejector pit, and you know, the, th the thing is this, is that the stuff is always in the pit, you just never smell it. And it never overwhelms us because it doesn't stay in the pit very long. And so, you know, I was thinking that our hearts are, are, are kind of like that ejector pit, right? They are containers, right? They are containers that, that, that are meant to hold God's love in us and extend it to others. But oftentimes, oftentimes the things that flow from our heart are anything but God's love. And this is what John wants to talk to us about tonight. 
Uh, Jeremiah 17.9 just gives you a little vignette about kind of what the human heart is like without Jesus, okay? Let me read it. It's pretty, it's pretty soft. It's pretty easy to hear. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So apart from God's grace, that is exactly what lives inside of you. That is exactly what you attempt to love others with, that deceitful, desperately sick, wicked heart that lives inside of you. And, and, and from our conception, these containers of ours, these hearts have been filled with the toxicity of this world, the sewage of this world. You know, everything from the motive to our actual behavior is tainted. But God has done the unimaginable. He has sent Jesus down to the ejector pit of our, this world to save us. This is what he's done. It's exactly what he's done to save us. And, and what John says in this passage is that he's come to fill us with love because he's come to f- unite us with Christ. And God is love. It's not, it's not something that he just does. It's not something that he just shows. But it's who he is. It's his exact character. Everything that love is is who God is. Romans 5 speaks about it like this. And we're going to spend some time in Romans 5 kind of parallel with 1 John tonight. Beginning of Romans 5, verse 5 says this, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he's given to us. And church, it's only when our hearts are filled with God's love that we can be the aroma of Christ to the world. The Lord has sent Jesus, and Jesus is the perfect manifestation of what love is. This is how God being loved, you can hear that God is love, but when you see Jesus and you see the life of Jesus, and the things that Jesus was about, the people that he engaged with, and the manner that he engaged with them, we see what love is. It's it's not this Hollywood romance kind of love. It's way different than the way that we describe love in this world. But a lot of times, kind of that that toxic heart that lives inside of us that Jeremiah writes about, here's here's how we love others. I give you what you deserve. I harbor hatred in my heart toward you. I expect you to give to me only what God can give to me. I'm slow to repent and quick to speak. This is how we love others. This is how we behave with others. This is how we interact with others. And all of it is toxic sewage, church. But John's got good news for us tonight. Jesus has got good news for us tonight. Because the way the world thinks about love is not like God calls us to. Love is this unconditional gift that God gives us. It it comes from another place. It comes from heaven, from Jesus to us. And we receive that and extend that to others. In the ancient Greek language, there were four words to describe this word love. And if you've ever read any of C.S. Lewis's works, he wrote a book about this called The Four Loves. And in it, he basically goes through the four types of love. The, the, The first one is storgi, which is like an affection. Like you might say, I love Oreos, which I would say that. I had to throw away an entire pack because I knew that if I opened it again, because they reseal for some reason. Why do they even do that? You don't need to reseal those things. You just need to eat them. I I love Oreos. I would say that's an affection. Or you might say, I love this church, or I love the work that I get to do. It's an affection. It's a storgy kind of love. Or it might be uh, another type of love is an eros kind of love. And it's where we get the word erotic from. It is a romantic type of love. Those two loves aren't described in the Bible in their their Greek language, but but, uh, the next two are. 
uh, philea, which is brotherly love, where we get the where Philadelphia gets its root, uh, kind of from the city of brotherly love, and it's this that's this that's this kind of love that des- describes a deep friendship with others, right? And then there's this word agape that you've probably heard before, that is best described as a as a love that is about charity and self-sacrifice. It actually has very little with what you receive and very much about what you give to others. And it's way different than we think about love. This is the word that John is using over and over and over and over again to describe who God is. Okay? So the, the type of love that, that, that God has loved us with is, is completely centered outside of his own need. He's God. He lacks nothing. He needs nothing. But he sacrifices everything. And this is, this is what we see in Jesus. And and. It's Jesus' love that's meant to make us whole is what John is writing about here. It's only in Jesus, and if you don't get anything else tonight, maybe this is it. It's only in Jesus that we can say this. Uh, It's only in him that we can say, you loving me back doesn't define who I am. You loving me back doesn't define who I am. Because every other form of affection that we show to others is a pursuit to get something in return. And when we, when we live that way, we fail to see the way that God has loved us and therefore cannot extend God's love to others, okay? So if you're anything like me and you want to live out of this a little more in your life, John's going to show us how we can do it tonight. He's going to show us how we can grow in it. And our big idea of where we're, we're going tonight is this. God's love is a gift that must be fully received to be extended to others. Like you cannot get, we cannot give away something that we do not have. And and I think so many Christians spend most of their lives as Christians never understanding what unconditional love is and therefore never being able to extend it to others. Okay, so we're going to dig in here. We're going to look at three things, the origin of love, the quality of love, and the sanity of love. So let's dig into the origin of love. 1 John chapter 4, 7 and 8, I'll read it again for us here. John, remember, he, if you haven't been with us, uh, John is a, basically like a grandfather, great-great-grandfather kind of age now. He's like 90. He's somewhere between 80 and 100 years old. I'll just round it off, say 90. He's an older man who is writing to a younger church, describing what he's learned about his best friend in the world. Jesus' best friend in the world, John, is writing about that. And, and he, here's what he says. So I want, you to, I want you to hear it kind of in the tone of a father. Beloved, let us... Love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. John actually closes this passage with a similar sentiment. What he's saying is he's giving us a test. He's saying, you, do you want to have confidence that you really know God? And I don't know a person in here who doesn't want to have that confidence because it's impossible to live as a Christian effectively in this world and hopefully in this world without confidence that God's love gives us. He says, if you want to know how you really know God, it's in how you love other people. It's not actually in what you, what, what you can produce in the right words to say. It's actually in your activity and the actions that you show to other people. Uh, it's, it's not a salvation by works, but he's saying if the fruit of, of the, he's saying that the fruit of our love doesn't lie, right? He's saying, he's saying that you can know that you follow God if you have love for the brothers, 
love for the sisters, and, and even if you don't receive anything back from them, that you're able to unconditionally show them favor and grace. He, he's saying this, friends, let's be eager to show one another who God is through our interactions with one another. So he's speaking to this church, he's saying, here's the way that you can really show others who I am. It's in the way that you live as the community of faith, especially with each other and those that are outside of us. And, and, and what we see about God's love is, is so interesting because he's saying that this isn't, this, is, this isn't a love that you kind of go to school and study and kind of figure out. It actually, you actually have to be born into this love, right? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6 talks to us about this, this idea that you have, to be, you have to be born again to know and extend the love that God has for the world, for you and for the world. Paul writes about it in Ephesians 1, and he, and he says it like this. He's talking about this new birth. We say, I'm a born-again Christian. I've been converted, right? I've, I've left the light of sin. I'm, I'm walking in the life of grace through faith, right? And the, the interesting, before I read this, the interesting thing about this, the, the more that I've been thinking about the Gospels even today, is that it's, it's no coincidence that, um, that Jesus says, you want to follow me, you've got to leave everything you know. If you want to follow me, you, you've got to take up your cross daily and follow me. You look at Peter, John, uh, James, and Andrew. When they, when, they, when they followed Jesus initially, what did they do? They left their dad, right? They left their nets. They, left, they cut every safety cord, every backup plan out of their lives. Because you can't understand and extend God's love unless you do that. Because we're so tempted to go back to this worldly way of loving others and living in community with others, which isn't transformative. And so... I hope that Ephesians 1 helps, helps give us the confidence to love that way. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us as the church in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In other words, he's given us everything that is possibly imaginable. He's given us everything in Jesus is what he's saying. Even as, and here's how he's done that, he chose us in him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. So here, here's what God decided to do before he made the world. He decided to love you through your sin. So he, he wasn't sitting back and thinking, man, I hope Joe really doesn't blow this thing up, okay? He wasn't, he, instead, before, before Genesis 1 was an idea, God chose to love you in Christ. Did you hear that? Let me say it again. Before Genesis 1 was an idea, before the earth was an idea, for the foundations of the earth, God chose to love you unconditionally in Jesus. Jesus was not a plan B. Jesus has always been plan A. God has always known the condition of our heart, and he's always planned to show us his manifest love, which is Jesus Christ in the flesh. That word predestined, it's a polarizing word, but do you know what it ultimately means? That God foreloved us. That because there's nothing lovable in us, because sin has tainted everything in us, that God chose to forelove you 
before he made anything that you see. And that's why you see why it's so offensive to God's heart when we worship any of this. When we worship anything that is in creation, Romans 1 talks about this, that we, we're, inventing, we're inventing ways of sinning. Before God did any of what you see, he chose to love you with an agape, charity, unconditional type of love that is, has nothing to do with you and everything to do with his character. That's what he chose to do. This is who God is. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you've been around the church more than once, you've heard that verse, right? But you look over it, right? In it, he's telling us what love is, that God gave. That God gave. And so, this is why it offends heart so, God's heart so bad when we worship these things is because God had you in mind before he created any of it. It's, it's why it off- it's so offensive to God's heart when we, when we love with any other type of love with these people that God made and chose to love before any of this existed with this, with this kind of counterfeit, generic, kind of quid pro quo, uh, I'll do this for you, you do that for me kind of love because it's not who he is. We're made to mirror who God is to one another, to reflect who God is to one another. And we can only do that if we're filled with who God is. Church, nothing can separate us from that love. And that's why we come to worship tonight, because in these last four months, there have been many moments where I've been momentarily convinced of other of other possibilities of life, right? Like, like, like may, maybe this really isn't, God, maybe you're not really sovereign. I don't know. It doesn't really seem like it, Lord. But I read Romans 8, and I just weep when I read it. Because Paul writes this in Romans 8. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. I don't know what more than conquerors is, but it's, I know what a conqueror is. I think like Braveheart, like, yeah, like, ah, you know, but, but you're more than that. You're more than a conqueror in Christ is what he's saying. So every battle that you think about that you have in your life right now, whether it's inside of you or outside of you, and John talks about both of them through the entire letter, Jesus Christ in you makes you more than a conqueror. Whatever that is, it's, it's got to be great, right? I kind of have an idea of what a conqueror is, but you're more than that. Through him who loved us. So, so the conquering mentality of who we are in Christ only comes through receiving the love that God has for us. And he goes on to paint the picture for us. He, he, he draws up all the worst villains that we have, right? For I'm sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, no matter how bad the death toll gets, church, the coronavirus does not number your days. God does. And I know we've got to be wise about this whole thing, but now is the time, for, as Megan was praying, for such a time as this, for the church to shine so bright. The world has realized we cannot get it right. We cannot live in harmony. We cannot live in unity because we do not have this love that God has shown us. This is our compass for how to live in this world. To know, like really know that our existence, our entire existence is to experience God's love and to extend it to the world. 
Church, before love can ever be something that you do, it has to be someone you know. And my prayer for you tonight is, is that you might consider, just kind of rack your brain, do I know the person of love? And John says you can, you can, you can kind of quickly see whether you do or not by looking at how you live with other people. He says that, that's the litmus test for us. The second thing that he goes on to talk about is the quality of love. Love is such a diluted word, right? Uh, I love Netflix. I love popcorn. I love my wife. Um, I love to go to the beach. It's such a diluted word, right? We don't, it doesn't, it's, it's, it's almost lost its meaning. John's reclaiming it for us because he talks about the quality or the degree, the type of love that God is. 1 John 4, 9 and 10, he says this, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Did you catch that? God sent his only son into the world so that you might live through him. Not try to prove yourself and make yourself acceptable to him, but actually find your life through his life, through his love. In this is love, not that we have loved God. He's kind of taking it off the table that we have something to prove. You know, it's not that you've loved God. That doesn't even matter. You don't know how to love God. You don't know what God's love is, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. There's that $10 word for our sins. God defines love not by what he feels, by what it costs. So John says, here's how we have come to know what real love is. God had to reveal it to us. We couldn't find it on our own. We're searching and looking for it all over the world, and we can't find it. And he didn't send a dozen roses, calling out all those sappy husbands on Valentine's Day, a sappy card or a box of chocolates. God defines love by sacrifice. You know what God's Valentine to us is? A bloody Roman cross. That's how God chose to love us. If God were to write a valentine to you on February 14th, it would have a big bloody Roman cross on it. And that doesn't make us feel warm inside until we see what it ultimately has the power to set us free from and for. It ultimately has the power to set us free from our bondage to chasing all these generic loves and to set us free from sin, from that bondage that we have, and to to set us free to really love unconditionally. To be able to say without a shadow of a doubt that it doesn't matter what you give me. I'm full on the inside because of Jesus. It doesn't matter what you can do for me. But God's love is extended through me because I'm full by the Spirit, as Romans 5, 5 says. Without the cross being at the center, the foundation of who we are, we are always trying to get love. Never really being able to give it. You're always trying to get it. Only in the cross is my pursuit of love finished. You know, love is impossible to know without the just judgment of God. I mean, think about this. If if 1 John 4, 7 through 12 was on a Valentine's Day card you got, you know, (laughs) the, the propitiation of your sin has been dealt with. That wouldn't make us feel warm inside, but it should. It should, right? Because without justice, there is no such thing as love. Without handling the ultimate thing that holds us in bondage in this world, how can you say you really love somebody? And Jesus has done that for us. He's, he's, he's shielded us from the wrath of God. He's absorbed the wrath of God from us. 
Because God, if he's really a God of love and he's really a God of justice, he's got to be fair, right? He's, he's got to give us exactly what we deserve. I can't say that I'm loving my kid if I say one, th- if I say you can't, if I, if, I, if I say there's no way that you should have Oreos today and I give you 17 packs because you look at me with that little cute smile, right? That's not loving your kid. That's helping your child become obese, right? That's not going to work out. And so God's love for us is just. And because it's just, we're never wondering in the back of our mind, you know, is this kind of like a cop-out? You know, am I going to get to the end of time? Am I going to get to the, the judgment seat of Christ? And, 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 and God's just going to be like, you know, ah, you, you really didn't get it. You're such a sinner. Because, God is, because Jesus satisfied what's been necessary for God to be just and show his justice to the world in the cross, we can be confident. So every time the enemy lies and says, you're not loved by God. You're not forgiven. You look at the cross and you remember, oh, yeah. Yes, I am. I'm loved by God. You know, let's think about it like this. We're going to go back to Romans 5 if you've got your Bible still out. Um, let's just say that times get real tough. And, uh, and you and your posse say, we can't take it anymore. We're going to rob a bank this afternoon, right? So, uh, you know, some of you, have, you've watched, you know, movies about people robbing banks. And you're like, yeah, I know how to do this. We can figure this out right? And so you kind of rise to the top, and everybody else follows you. And, uh, and so you, we, we pull this thing off, the biggest heist in history. It's like this, right? That, that while we're sinning, while we're going against what we know God says we should not do, it's like Jesus is down at the sheriff's office paying our bail. That's what Romans 5 is like, okay? Listen to what he says. He says this, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one should even dare to die. But God shows his love, his agape love, his sacrificial love of charity and grace toward us in this, while we're still sinners. Christ died for us. Since therefore we now have been justified, there's the word again, by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. There are those words again. If you ever think about love and words like wrath and justice aren't in it, you don't have the full picture. And, and, and what, what Paul writes here is, is basically this, that we think we surprise God with our sin. We think that he's like, oh, we're like catching him off guard. Ryan, you should know better than that, right? No, he, knows exa- he knew I was going to do that before he made anything that we can see, right? He loved us before the foundation of the world. And at just the right time, he sent Jesus to die for us while we were sinning. So if he's going to show me that type of charity, that type of grace that's unimaginable while I'm sinning, why am I so afraid to cut the cord of these other loves and live fully and freely in his love? Why am I so afraid? If we say we think we've received God's love and, we, and still think we're earning it, you know what happens? It, it, it hardens our hearts toward God's love. Because we think that every time that we do something good for God, you know, we pat ourselves on the back and we think that, that God is more proud like an attaboy for us. But, but the, the only way that, um, that we can really be changed by God in, in this idea that he's love 
is to receive love and vulnerability. Have you ever had someone care for you when you were in a really helpless state before? When you're in a really vulnerable place, right? I can think of some funny examples like when Megan and I both had the stomach bug and my mom had to drive from Illinois to Indiana to help us care for our newborn child, Tatum. It was, it was miserable, right? Lots of graphic illustrations tonight. Sorry about that. You know, but I can also think about some, some really specific sweet friendships, even some of those that have surfaced through this pandemic, right? When someone's loved you deeply, when you're in a really vulnerable place, you don't doubt that love, do you? Because you've got no pretense. You've got no mask on. You've got, you've got nothing to lose, right? If you haven't received God's love in that posture before, it's really hard to extend God's love. If you haven't, if you haven't met God's love in the depths, it's hard to extend that type of love to others. But our Father, He hasn't flinched one second and his plan to redeem us by sending Jesus. I, 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 love, uh, I love musicals. I didn't until I met Megan, but I, I do love musicals. I, I shared this example a few years ago. Some of you probably heard it before, but, but Les Mis, Les, Les Miserables, any fans out there? A few of you, yeah. You already know, you already know what I'm gonna tell you. Joe, Joe's like ready to act it out. Joe, do you have any silver? Come on up. Um, so anyway, there's this guy, main character um, in Les Mis is, is uh, this guy named Jean Valjean. And he's this kind of, he's kind of this dirty kind of man. Like he's, 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 a, he's a really, really bad dude, right? And um, he, he, was, he was homeless and this bishop or, you know, pastor, um, he decided to, let, to bring Jean Valjean into his own home. And he, and he lets him, uh, he feeds him and, and Jean Valjean is so hungry, he like skips prayer and he's like just digging in, right? And, and, uh, and so then, then, then he goes to sleep that night and uh, and kind of the, the, the kind of the old human nature comes alive in, in him, and he says, "You know what? There's some things here that are valuable. I bet I can take these things and get on my way. I bet I could take advantage of this man's kindness, right?" And, and so what he does is he, he begins to gather up some of the valuable silver. He grabs some some plates and bowls and, and cups, and he leaves in the middle of the night. And the police it doesn't take them long to find him, but they find him and they bring him back to the bishop's house. And there's this moment of, I mean. This, this moment of love displayed uh, that no amount of words could ever do justice to. But it's this moment where this man is guilty before the bishop and, 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 and he's about ready to be judged by the police that are there. And, um, and, and, and the, the, um, the, the, the police ask the bishop a question. They say, okay, th- this man has stolen these things from you, but, but here's what he said to you. He said that, the, that you gave him these things. And the bishop didn't say that, right? He's lying about it. And the bishop says, oh, yeah, he's telling the truth. But you forgot the candlesticks, Jean Valjean. How could you forget the candlesticks? They're the most valuable piece. And he goes and he, and he gives them to Jean Valjean as an act of charity and grace. And that's the moment that Jean Valjean changes in the play. It's the moment where he meets love. But he doesn't just hear that the bishop loves him. It's shown to him through sacrifice. And I think that's how Jesus meets us. And, and a lot of times we have a hard time seeing the costliness of his love for us. The last thing is this, and we'll wrap this thing up, but it's the sanity of love. You know what sanity is? 
Most of us don't right now during the pandemic. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's wholeness. The, the Hebrew has this beautiful word that describes this idea of wholeness. It's a word that's translated as peace, but it's this word shalom. And it basically means holistic flourishing, that everything's kind of working together. Everything's flourishing. Everyone's whole. They're lacking nothing. They may have troubles, but they're lacking nothing. God's love is what makes us sane, is what John is telling us here. So John starts this passage with a call and a test that if you want to you have confidence that God loves you and that you're in right standing with him, well, look at how you love others. That's the test. And he ends it with the same thing. So here's what he says, 1 John 4, 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So God so loved us, and he showed us that he loved us before the beginning of time, right? For the foundation of the world, we hopped over and saw what Paul wrote about that. But then we also uh, saw that, it, that his love was manifest in sending his only son, his perfect son for us. But he, says that, he goes on to say this in verse 12, no one's ever seen God. So you say you've seen God, you haven't seen God. Moses, I think, got about as close as we could, right? His, his face is covered, right? Um, but if we love one another, God abides or dwells in us, and his love is perfected in us. So, so he's saying because of the way that God has loved us, we have to love one another. Like, if you, if you, can't, if you do not love like God has loved you, if you do not love others unconditionally, then, then you can't say that, that you know God, is what he's saying. Because you don't know God, because that's who he is. He says, no one's ever seen God, but they see him through us. That's how they see God, is through us. You're not God to someone else, but because you're united to Christ, he abides in you, you abide in him. Others see love through you. So let me just stop and ask a question. What kind of love have you shown to the world the last 125 days? Just to, I'm not trying to beat anybody up. Just, it's just a question to ask ourselves. If someone were looking at my life, they were looking at my text messages, they were uh, looking at my drafted emails, not the ones that are sent, but the ones you thought about sending. You had better sense than to send them. They were looking at uh, your Facebook messages. They were looking, they could see your, hear your thoughts. What kind of love would that, would that be? See, there's room for us to grow in God's love. And the love that he's talking about that God has for us is kind of this one-way theological word, monergistic love. It's a one-way love. It's coming down for us. A lot of times we think that God's love is us reaching up to grab God and him kind of tugging us up, but it's really this one-way kind of like I've sent my son to the cross for you kind of love. If you haven't received Jesus' love and vulnerability like that, you can't extend it to others. The movement of God's love is always away from self and toward others without condition. That's, that's how you know that you're living in that. But, but here's, here's, here's why that can happen. It's because, as John says, that his love is, is perfecting us. In other words, God's love has a goal to, to, to complete us, to perfect us. He has something to accomplish in us. He wants to make us whole, lacking nothing from others, but only able to extend God's love to the world. C.S. Lewis writes this. I'm going to share one quote from The Four Loves. He talks about just the, the reality of, of doing this. He says, There is no safe investment. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung 
and possibly broken. But if you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries and Amazon and avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside heaven where you can perfectly, where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. Isn't that so heavy? Isn't that what keeps us from loving other people, though? We get hurt when we love other people. We get hurt and we say, I'm not, I've learned my lesson. I'm not going back that way again. Uh-uh. I'm not going to enter into that relationship again. I've learned my lesson there. And, and Lewis is writing and he's saying that something's happening. You might not be aware of it for some time, but something is happening when you begin to shut yourself off to the relationships that God has around you. Is that your heart becomes hard and unbreakable. I don't know if you're dealing with any of that right now. I know that I am dealing with relationships that are really challenging right now. And my, my gut reaction is not a pastor's reaction. And I think all of us are to some degree. And, and the, the opportunity for us is, is, is to repent and go back to our first love. 